We welcome you back to the Cross the Crown podcast. Josh Copen is here in desperate need of a haircut again. In fact, I had someone reach out and say, do you have to have your hair this way to be part of this podcast? Uh, I am joined by Doug Gooden, who is a pastor, seminary president, ministry director, husband, father, and uh, will also pick up your trash. If you're on vacation, he will help you take your garbage out. And uh, also professional pet walk. Trying to pick up a couple extra bucks. No, Doug. Hey, um, first of all, we got a lot of good feedback, even from people who may not have agreed, but thought you made some good points and said they're going to have to relook at their view of Galatians 5. That's the last podcast. I recommend people go look at this. And I keep forgetting to do this, especially on the YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and turn the notifications on because of that pesky thing called shadow banning for people who have... uh, conservative christian views but it looks like the video views people are enjoying watching us which i don't understand i have a voice for radio uh a face what is a face for radio and a voice for print and um you just you're not that good looking enough that you bring up that people have to look at me so you're good looking (laughs) it's the hair man yeah it's the haircut they're here for the hair it's the zach moore's hair we're bringing it back so uh, again rate review and subscribe leave comments and uh, we appreciate any feedback, even if it seems trollish. So we'll yeah. <laughs> we need to check and see when the uh, the Bunyan Conference get that gets that audio up and uh, and link to that. Then it'd be great for our listeners and viewers to watch and listen to the entire uh, Bunyan Conference. That was some good stuff. I agree. There was a bunch of stuff on there, and I, I can't wait to hear Tony's discussion on social justice. And some things came down from Canada today that they're going to try and keep people from gathering as groups not just because of COVID, but because they're worried about false information being spread. And so I haven't had a chance to listen to the whole thing to see if perhaps Twitter and social media was taking that out of context, but it's Canada, so it's probably not. Hmm. And uh, as Tony says, when things are up there, they trickle down here. And I think it was Robin Williams who joked, Canada is a loft apartment of a really good party who calls the police on you and tries to get you to part (laughs) at them. So I think that's what's happening. All right, Doug, uh, this week... um, I wanted to focus on something. You had mentioned this a couple of podcasts back that I brought up something in a podcast and we told him this was the very first one we were talking about. We talked about mental strength and the importance of knowledge for men, but physical strength is something you've talked about before. Why is that so important for men to be strong by what we would think of the word strong? Why? Uh, several factors. One is, uh, and this comes back a little bit to character and mental piece, uh, the self-discipline it takes to get strong is good for us in every other aspect of life. So if you commit yourself to working out, then that takes mental fortitude. That takes doing it when you don't feel like it, which spills over into other things you should be doing when you don't feel like it. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefit there. But just physically, you know, we are we got to always be careful not to go the Gnostic route and separate our inner man from our outer man as though the outer man is unimportant. And men are made to be stronger than women. We are to, we are to pursue strength. Um, I, I believe, I mean, the Bible doesn't come right out and say that as explicitly. Paul does talk about the, uh, the benefits of physical exercise, but in proportion to godliness, it's, it, it doesn't rank, but he doesn't say it's unimportant. Um, I think as in our culture, which encourages us to be flabby, to be weak, uh, this sort of um, default setting that as you age, you are going to become weak, you're going to have osteoporosis, 
You're going to have pains and you're just going to diminish. We, we sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've been told that is true. And so what you have is a bunch of older people who are weak, who are stooped over, who, you know, bend down and, and pick up the soap they dropped in the shower. They throw their back out and now they're, they're in trouble for a, a long time or they fall and break their hip and whatever. Now, some of that may, may be inevitable. And certainly our bodies are winding down and deteriorating. We know that we're not going to live forever in this age, but... I'm not persuaded that we have to grow weak and fragile uh, as we get older. So uh, I, I think uh, for all of those reasons and, and more, we need to, as men, we need to be strong. We don't work in the fields all day. We don't do heavy, most of us, some do, most of us don't do heavy physical work during the day. Uh, we, we need to make up for that in other ways. Doug wants to be the Jack Lane of preachers. He's going to be like 100 <laughs> And Jack, no, it is important. And I'm friends with people who work in the health industry. Nutrition's a big thing. There's a lot of people, professional nutritionists, but it's amazing the amount of their, their growth, their brand, if you will, is about, we just got to do you. It's okay to be this and be that. And there's an extent to which there's only so much you can do, but there's also this idea that it's okay to be unhealthy. And that's not. Yes, it can go the other way. There are people who idolize their bodies and then we know that, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking care of yourself. Guess what? Rest is part of it. Getting enough sleep and all those things are important too. studies show. I mean, say what you want about LeBron, but he talks about that. Like I have to get sleep. It is important for my body. It isn't just the physical part. So when you're talking about strength, you're, you are encompassing, as you said earlier, the mental part, but also the physical part. Yeah, uh, all of it matters. Again, we are not Gnostics. We, we don't devalue the body. And we have to realize it is our vehicle for everything we do, right? We, our interaction with the world, the way for our inner man to do anything uh, is through our body, uh, our eye, all the five senses, and our body is impacted. So if we are unhealthy, that does cause us to struggle to do the things that we are called to do. You mentioned them, sleep, diet. Uh, I would encourage everybody to dig in and see how much diet affects how we think, how we feel throughout the day, which gets in the way. You know, it, it, the, the traditional food pyramid, and we can, I can lecture on this all day long if you want. The traditional food pyramid is so carb heavy, and we load up at breakfast and lunchtime, and then we have that lethargy throughout the day uh, of, of that carb crash and that sugar crash. Whereas uh, for those that have experimented with the higher protein, low carb, healthy fat kind of uh, diet, you realize, you know, I don't need the afternoon coffee. Uh, I'm pretty steady as far as energy level throughout, throughout the whole day, largely because of diet. Now, all of us, when we don't sleep very well, then yeah, we struggle the next day and need an extra cup of coffee or whatever, but uh, diet matters and, and physical fitness matters. And uh, uh, the aches and pains, I, I'm older than you a little bit. And, uh, and I've come to realize this more and more. I, I have less uh, or fewer aches and pains today than I did 10 or 15 years ago because there was a period of time when I wasn't working out at all, wasn't uh, lifting heavy weights at all. And my back started hurting, my knees started hurting, my hips started hurting, my shoulders were hurting. And the last thing you want to do when you have those pains is get sore by lifting weights. And there's this fear that you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, I started doing squats and deadlifts with pretty significant back pain. I am not a doctor, by the way. I need to caveat this. If you have back pain, go always go get see a doctor before you put some pastor's advice. I'm not giving advice. I'm just giving my, my story, my experience. But I was hesitant. 
I thought I was told basically I was going to have to live with this back pain for the rest of my life. Uh, I started very lightly, very lightweight doing squats and deadlifts. And I can tell you my back has not felt this good since I was in my 20s and I'm 51. Uh, so as I get older, I just, I want strength to help me open the, open the, the jar of pickles, right. And lift up and, and put things up uh, in higher places and not feel fragile and not be hurting and that kind of thing. And, and think about it. Um, I know it's golf, but trust me, anyone who's golf knows that's not a natural motion for your body to swing like that. You're facing one direction and hitting it another, really look at Phil Mickelson, 50, almost 51 years old. And just, you know, is hitting the ball 360 yards. And he talked about it. I had to work on my flexibility. I had to work on my strength. I had to do all these things. If I wanted to keep competing with you know, the guys who are 25 and hitting at 380. well, part of that is being in shape. So it is proof that age in some sense is just a number when it comes to strength and working out. Now, the flip side of that is, okay, but you guys are a Christian podcast. What does this have to do with being an image bearer of God, sharing the gospel, being part of a local church. Again, that question could come from a almost a Gnostic perspective. Uh, yes, we're Christians. What are we going to get in the, in the next age? We're going to get a new body. And we're longing for a new body that will be fit for that age. Well, we have this body that is fit for this age. And we need to make it fit. Ha, see, play on words there. Yes, thank you. Um, again, everything we do is physical. I, I was—I remember seeing a, a pretty prominent church leader speaking at a conference some years ago, and when he walked up to the podium, he you know, he was terribly overweight, and he was huffing and puffing for ten minutes into the into the lecture, and he's wiping sweat off his face constantly, and in, I was distracted. Not, not judging him, like, like you said, I'm not, it's not about appearance for the world. Now, I care about my, what my wife thinks, and just side note here, uh, the whole dad bod thing and, and thinking that, uh, I don't know, we, we sort of bought into the lie that our wives are not attracted to our physical appearance, which is nonsense. Uh, women are just as physical as men. So for those who are listening who are husbands, your wife wants, she's going to be more attracted to you if you are in good shape. And if you're not married and want to get married, hey, guess what? Women are going to be more attracted if you're in shape. So, but in this particular case, in this guy, I wasn't judging him because he didn't look good. I was having a hard time listening to what he was saying because I really was wondering, is, is he going to pass, off, pass out? Is he going to fall over dead here? Uh, he's just so, he's carrying around so much weight that it can't be good for him. And it didn't, you know, I, I was able to listen to what he said eventually, but the, the point is we, we need to take care of our bodies. It helps us do everything we do in life better. And it's, it's, it's part of the stewardship thing. It's part of as a, as being a man, being responsible and caring for things, you know, my car, I'm a better steward of my car. If I keep the oil changed, if I keep the tires rotated and, and get new tires on there, if I keep the basic maintenance going, that's, that car is going to last longer and it's going to serve its purpose better. Think of all the time that you have to put into a car that's, that's not well kept, right? Well, the same thing is true of, of our bodies. Uh, it costs us that energy level, that ability to do what God has called us to do is it, we, we can't do it as well if we're constantly battling our body. So to put in the work, to work it hard and keep it lean and keep it operating well is just going to allow us to do the other things God calls us to do much more effectively. 
Right. And I think uh, I was talking about eldership and things like that, you know, especially if you're leading a church, a lot of time and energy is required of you and not just from the church body, but if you're married from your family and it's good mm-hmm. to have physical strength and rest and those things, be able to care for both and, and care for both well. So maybe heavy lifting or strength isn't necessarily hundred percent your thing, but cardio tone, something that deals with taking care of your body is important for those reasons. Um, what about strength from, we talked about mental part. Are you a mind, body, soul person? Do you believe there's a try part to who we are as a human? Some people just say mind and body uh, because that'll lead into the next topic we're going to get to in a minute. But are you a, are you a try person or just a, we're a, we're a bifurcated person? Yeah. I tend to speak in terms of inner man, outer man uh, and realizing the inner man is very complex and we have come up with different categories to describe things. And the Bible uses different terminology. I'm not convinced that we should press that very far. Uh, I'm not prepared biblically to, to really press. Because if you say we have mind, spirit, and soul, which some people do, um, and, and really distinguish those three, then it's a quadfurcated kind of person. Um, I, I can distinguish some what we mean by mind, spirit, and soul to some degree, whether those are truly different parts of our, of our constituency or just different ways of describing how the inner man operates versus the outer man. I tend to just try to keep it in broader categories of inner and outer. Okay. And from a physical strength point, I mean, every study ever done by man shows if you're working out, if you're strength, all those things, you do feel quote unquote better mentally as well. I mean, we understand getting God's word, pray, be involved in a church, but there's nothing wrong with, as we talk about wanting to have, I don't know how to say it's a self-esteem. I don't mean for, but you know, for your, for your mental health to be good too. That's okay. Yes. Uh, I don't, if we make an idol out of our body, that's bad. Right. If we go out and want everyone to praise us for how we look, (laughs) That's bad, but you know, you know, I, I have a, a nice, nice uh, portrait here, a nice mm-hmm. painting, whatever this is called, of of mountains, because um, I, I like my study to look nice. I like to be in this. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, it's just it's my environment, and I, I enjoy it looking a certain way. Um, I appreciate it. I think maybe there is some motivation, some some mental uh, impact of that as opposed to cluttered. I'm not, I don't operate as well in a cluttered environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so to carry that out, yeah, I, I, if I like the way I look better, I feel better, all that. I don't see any, any problem with that. Again, you can take that too far like anything else. Uh, our church building, uh, I'm sure, you know, your church building, if it's, if it's run down and looks like it's on the verge of collapse, it's going to impact what people think beauty and maybe that's a topic for another time but but beauty and that that um the the visual and and and, well again all the senses we we have those for a reason and we don't want to become gnostic and discount that and say our bodies don't matter so yeah again can it be taken too far sure it can uh i also think part of this is to flip it around we can all say as, as much as we want to i don't ever judge a person by how they looks how they look well, maybe you don't. Maybe you're the rare person that doesn't. But the vast majority of our culture does. And we can preach on it and tell people, stop it, stop it, stop it. 
doesn't change the fact they do. Visitors coming into my church when I'm standing up front preaching, visitors come in and they make some judgments, not just on the purity of the word of God that I'm preaching. I'd love to think that's the case, but that's not the case. They're, they're evaluating a lot of different things. If I can keep one less obstacle from them being preoccupied with how I look one way or the other, right? I can go in and, and make it all, I can, I can be ripped and I can dress to the nines and spend $400 on an outfit and I'm going to get some feedback that way. I can get up there and look slobbish and trashy and like I don't care one iota. And there could be some people that are attracted to that. Most Americans are going to come into that and say, hmm, his appearance tells me something about his character. Mm-hmm. Even if it's wrong, they're going to make a judgment on that. So it seems to me like we need to just stop pretending like that doesn't actually happen and say, hey, if I can not be unattractive in the in the best use of that word, then I should do that. Yeah, and I think about finishing well. We are called as believers to finish well. Um, some of that's taken away from us with modern medicine these days, certainly how people pass. But um, finishing well could mean from a physical standpoint, I'm going to spend every last moment and hopefully in breath of energy I have in resting in Christ and sharing the gospel and finishing well from a physical standpoint. And um, I think part of that is being in, in shape. And I think that that matters is as much as you can. We mentioned the mental aspect of it. Um, anxiety is such a topic in the church these days. And how do we deal with it? We can get into medicine and all that later. But from a purely Philippian standpoint, let's go there. Let's start with a verse. Be anxious for nothing. I won't do it because you told me not to do this, even though I have taken Greek. Is the words there, be anxious for nothing, is that an ongoing thing? Because I've heard pastors say, there's nothing you can really do about the first thought. It's how you handle the next one, the next one. The first thought just kind of pops in, but I can control the second thought. I'm going to take this thought to Christ, or I'm going to take it to my sin and my worry. Or is it, no, anxious, boom, this one-time thing, that's a sin. Be anxious for nothing. How do you address that topic? Well, I think the initial issue is is kind of a moot point anyway, because we we can't avoid. We, there's some spontaneous. Well, first of all, I guess we should define our terms. Um, anxiety is used so many different ways for so many different things. Um, it is a constant temptation for human beings, and we know that because the most frequent command in the scripture, it, it's not love. It is do not be afraid. So I tend to look at anxiety and fear as all part of the same discussion. And over and over again, in in a variety of contexts, Jesus in the New Testament, the apostles, Old Testament prophets, do not be afraid, do not fear, be anxious for nothing, take courage. All of those are different ways of saying you are going to be tempted to fear and worry, and you need to not give into that. So that tells me the fact that he had to repeat that so many times, uh, that tells me that it is a regular and constant temptation for human beings. And so to say you will never experience even the front end of that, well, that sounds good in theory. It's just not going to happen. Um, and and I, I think we need to be gracious with, uh, with believers here. Uh, um, it can sound like uh, we, can be, we can sound very condemning as we talk about this, and we got to be careful with that. We're all tempted to fear something, uh, many somethings. The, the key is, I believe, where do we take that fear? So you come to me and say, oh, I'm afraid of something. 
it doesn't do you any good for me to say, you know, that's a sin. You shouldn't have been afraid of the first place. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But if, if there's any emotional aspect of this, any spontaneous, if it's a reactionary at all, having the command does not immediately remove that temptation when it comes. So I would say, you know, let's leave that part of the discussion aside and say, okay, I'm now in fear of some sort. What do I do with that? that that's where I would want to go. Even the angels, right? They always have like their first words are do not be afraid. Obviously, angels are scary things. People are like, ah, angels. Anyway, um, so the, the the Greek there in Philippians, is it like, I guess you kind of addressed it. Is it an ongoing, continuous action of anxiousness? Well, let or, me pull it up here. Okay. And uh, I'll maybe I'll test your Greek as well, <laughs> since you haven't had a Greek quiz in a little while. Oh, where's my Logos Bible there? It is. Everybody pull out your Greek while we're, yes. while we're looking this here. What is it? The HSL unplanned. I think, um, okay. Well, I just, cause I think it matters how you would approach that. Correct. If it is be anxious, like a singular thing, or if it's an ongoing continuous action kind of thing, it, it does provide some grace. Like you were saying to be like, there's nothing you can really do about an initial there are going to be things that are going to make you anxious. It's staying anxious. That is right. the struggle. Right. So it's a present active imperative. So what, uh, here's your Greek quiz part. Mm -hmm. What does the present tell us? It's current. It's happening. Right. What would it be if they wanted to be undefined in terms of time? Aris passive. Hey, yeah. all right. Very Thank good. You. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so be not, do not be ongoingly anxious. And then the next word is Allah, which means rather, or right. But. Yeah. Rather than that, uh, in every situation, I know you like people to say rather, rather than, but it could be, but, but you prefer rather. I prefer rather. Cause it's a strong adversative. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's not this, but rather <laughs> that. So you can do both. You can say, but yeah. rather if you want, uh, rather than continuing on in that anxiety, bring it to the Lord. Uh, with prayer, petitions, thanksgiving, and and make your request known to God. Um, so yeah, that I don't believe this is addressing that initial response to whatever it is that's provoking the fear. But now that you're experiencing it, what do you do with it? Don't stay there. Don't allow yourself to be controlled by that fear. Don't make decisions based out of that fear. Don't even allow your emotions to continue going down that path of of fear. But come to the Lord, pray about it. Give your requests to him and and do it with Thanksgiving. I think each of those pieces is really important uh, to think about. So the uh, the command there, uh, prayer supplication, uh, we'll come back to Thanksgiving in a minute, but make your requests known to God. The Lord, and this is probably why it's important to not dwell on the sinfulness of, of having the initial fear because, oh no, I'm, I'm fearing, I'm in sin. What do we do with that? Well, we re repent if we're in sin and now we go and we confess the sin of fear. That's still not addressing the thing that provoked the fear and that can be shameful and all that. Okay. I'm afraid, whatever it is, I'm afraid of this. I'm worrying about this. My mind is constantly on this. I I'm laying awake at night. I can't get this off my mind. What do I do with that? Well, Paul here says, make your request known to God. What do you want? 
I think that's a, a piece that that we often we often forget. We often forget the implication of this. Okay, I'm afraid I want something different from what is happening now. I want my circumstances to be different. I want this relationship to be different. Uh, something I don't like. He doesn't say, take your fear to the Lord. He says, make your request known to the Lord. Do you see the difference? This is huge. This is huge. So uh, as, as you all as a family, for instance, have, uh, have wrestled with, or especially early on, some of the, uh, uh, the, the dangers with one of your daughters, right? Uh, that causes fear. Every parent would be afraid. And I'm using that in a broad sense. Maybe you weren't fearful, but there's something there. There's, there's worry. There's a little bit of uh, uncertainty, right? What do you, and, and if now we, is, if now you confess your fear, if that is primarily what you do, Lord, I'm afraid, help me not be afraid. You're not doing what Paul's talking about here. Rather, your request should be this illness appears to be uh, happening to my daughter. Lord, I don't want that. Would you remove that illness? Would you heal her? Would you, would you make it so that it's something else, right? That's, that's what he says. Make your request, present what you want to the Lord. There's nothing sinful about saying, I don't want this. I do want that. Jesus is exhibit A. He was part of planning the cross event before the foundation of the world. He knew this must happen. He must go to the cross. He knew intellectually the sins of all the believers for all time literally hang on his going to the cross. Mm. And when the moment comes of the cross, he says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. He made a request. Is there another option? So if Jesus can do that with the most important event in all of human history, it's okay, I believe, for us to say, I'm afraid of this situation. Lord, I want something else. But he also qualifies it with, bring your, your petition with Thanksgiving. It's hard to be overly selfish when you're being thankful. Here's all the ways you are blessing me. Here's all the wonderful gifts you have given me. I'm not going to show up at this uh, with this request now and be um, yeah, selfish if I'm also giving thanks along the way. So Lord, I want this to be different. I'm asking you to make it different, but here's all the ways you've shown your grace and kindness to me up to this point. So at the end of the day, I will trust you with the outcome. And that leads to the great promise. He doesn't promise to remove the challenge, the difficulty, but he does say the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. I love that too. Think about guarding. What do you do with a guard? You, you, you set up guards around something that's fragile, that's dangerous or, or worthy of protecting, right? You, you set up the fence, you set up the, the watchmen with their, their, uh, their binoculars, oh, whatever, scouts. Yeah, scouting out for uh, uh, for danger. What is our heart and mind? What what our thoughts and our our, our inner man? Um, what what do we need to be guarded against? Selfishness, fear, anger, all the sinful things that can come out of that anxiety. If we come to the Lord with our supplications, telling Him what we want to be different, but we're giving thanks so that we're not being self absorbed. Our hearts and our minds are guarded against further sin. That is a place of peace and joy. 
Well, and um, that verse towards the end to deal with the anxiety, it's in the conscious of being anxious or in the context of being anxious for nothing. If there isn't a youth group in America that tells kids guard your heart, but in that context, it's not talking about dating. It's not talking about sexual sin. Now, the proverb one might be talking about guarding your heart from sexual sin, but in that context, it is not. And people run to that. Go, you got to guard your heart. Got to guard your heart. That's and I think it's good you bring that out because I never forget the first time I think it was reading D.A. Carson's um, uh, For the Love of God, where he goes through the book of the Bible, you know, as a daily devotion. He brought that up and I was like, and it wasn't at argue, but you always heard that didn't matter from like the older teenage. Make sure you guard your heart when you're dating that person. It's like that has nothing to do with that context there. Yeah. No, what's guarding you is the peace. Mm -hmm. It's not even you guarding your heart. He doesn't say that. He says a result of you bringing these requests to your father and doing it with Thanksgiving, the result of that is that garrison that is now protecting you is God's peace. It's not even you. It's God's peace. The peace that comes, that peace that is beyond all of our comprehension. I can breathe. I can rest. I can, again, going back to Jesus, right? I, he, he won, the, I, I described it this way. He won the battle in the garden. Father, let this cup pass for me. And then, he, well, uh, okay, I'm going, I'm going here. We got time. So I love how this is portrayed in Luke's gospel. So Jesus, uh, I just realized I started seven, seven sentences there and haven't finished any of them. Jesus <laughs> is in the garden and he's, he's saying, Father, let this cup pass for me. And he's asking, right? Well, Luke tells us, then angels appeared and ministered to him. Well, what do, what do angels, what, what's their primary role in the scriptures? Messengers. They're messengers, right? I'm persuaded, though the, the text doesn't say this explicitly, I'm persuaded they came to deliver a message. The father has heard you. And his answer is, no, this cup cannot pass from you. You have to drink it. Then is when Luke says he was in great agony and sweat drops like blood after he'd prayed. So what I think happened there is he gets the the word from the father. No, we're going through with it. You need to drink the cup. Then he's in agony. And that word in the Greek agon is a very specific word. It's the marathon runner back in the old Olympics. It's that, that agony is that point in in which a, a marathon runner is just mentally exhausted and physically exhausted and everything within their being is saying, just stop, right? You've, you've gone 20 miles or 23 miles and you've got a few miles left, but your whole person is just saying, look, we can stop this pain by just being done. Don't finish. That's what the word agon is describing. And he's in agony. He is, he's now saying, okay, I have to drink this cup. Father, help me finish. Give me the strength to go through with this. And the angels ministered to him. And then he got up. He'd won the battle against, against that desire to, to quit. And he got up and he goes back to the disciples. You know, couldn't you stay awake with me? And then all the soldiers show up and he's as calm as a cucumber. He, they got swords and clubs and, you know, they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. You know, they all fall down or whatever. And he's just, he is cool. He's not ready to pick a fight. Peter, of course, pulls out his sword and whacks off the guy's ear and all that. But Jesus just, hey, Peter, put that away. Relax. It's okay now. Why? Because the peace of the Father had surrounded him. He won the battle 
and now he's ready to finish the course. I think that's the same kind of thing that Paul is saying here. You bring your petitions to the Lord and, and thank, thank him and trust him and his peace around you. And that's, all right, I can handle this, whatever it is. I don't feel like I should continue. I feel like you just crushed <laughs> it. And I don't feel like it. But I, I was thinking about Hebrews 4, too, the end of that. Hmm. And um, we have a great high priest who knows and who's been and tempted. And, and tempted would include basically on what you said. Anxiety and how he answered the 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 troubles of of mental anguish that come, and so that if Christ could do that, facing the ultimate test, then we should be able to press on. Um, and I think, and that's Paul. You love sports references, right? He talks about running the race and pressing mm-hmm. on, and, and part of that is he knows the athlete. He talked about that being fine tuned and things like that, mm-hmm. and which goes back to our original topic of. Mm -hmm. of of being strong Uh, real quick with anxiety um when someone said my anxiety is high or i i don't know whether we should go down this topic today or not but anxiety medicine when someone comes to you as a pastor and says i'm struggling with anxiety i can't eat or i'm losing weight or whatever i pray and i meet with the body and i believe all but i just can't i'm a fog should i take medicine what do you advise them on yeah, that's a hard and complex issue for right. sure. And uh, and I'm not overly dogmatic on any of this. Uh, I generally, this is, this, is a, this is a broad response mm-hmm. and there may be individual situations. There will, there are individual res, uh, situations that, that I might respond differently. But my general view is um, spiritual problems need spiritual solutions. Physiological problems need physical solutions. There is a relationship for sure. Uh, as you're going to continue to learn and have learned with your daughters, uh, they don't get their naps. They're cranky, right? Their sin is directly related to whether or not they get a good night's sleep. And, and we can relate to that even as adults. So I, we, we need to, again, not, we're not Gnostics. We do not make such a separation between the physical and the non-physical that we don't see the relationship. I am, I am fascinated to think about the relationship between the brain and the mind. You know, they're not the same thing. The Mm -hmm. mind is not a physical thing, but it is somehow correlated to a physical thing. If you have legitimate brain damage, as far as we can tell, your ability to think is impacted. Certainly, we know people who have brain damage who cannot use their mouths, for instance. They can't speak carefully. Now we don't know all that's going on inside because we don't have access because they, their vehicle to getting out is, is, is not functioning. Why is that? I don't know. When a person dies, their brain is fully intact, but their mind is not working at least in this earth, in this life anymore. That whole thing is fascinating. And and we need to be very careful not to dive into areas that we can't know, but we also should not ignore the, the very obvious correlation between the physical and the non-physical parts of our being. So all that to say, I don't know all the intricacies of how that works. I do think on one side, you have errors of people who really discount the personal responsibility and faith and the word of God and the spiritual disciplines and all those things. And just, you know, your sin is, is excused because you have some mental problem and the solution they would give is, is all the world's methods and means. Well, that's not helping anybody. That's not good. On the other side, we can also fall off the other side of the horse and ignore the, the things that medicine and, and uh, 
mental science has uh, helped with and, and say, no, no, it's all just sin, just repent. Well, maybe it is sin, but how do those things interact? How, how do we help people repent of that sin? I think medication in some cases can be a good tool to help resist some temptations and work on the spiritual things that need to be dealt with spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not your savior, unless it's purely a physiological problem. It's not your your solution, but it could be a tool to help deal with the the sin issues or the, the weak faith issues or that kind of thing. But I do, I think we, again, we have to be careful not to fall off either side of that horse. Uh, we look to the spirit of God. We look to the, the truth of God. We look to the things that God has given us at the same time, not ignoring that there's some other aspect of our being here that uh, we need to take into account. Yeah, well, it's hard to describe by a pastor who said, I look at it as a crutch, not the way we look at a crutch is a bad thing, but the goal is to get off it if possible, mm-hmm. but it is needed for a moment, right? You have a broken ankle, you need crutches. And I once heard a pastor uh, who's another new covenant believer, uh, Dennis, Dennis Gunderson, this is public, so I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said publicly, is in his mind, it makes sense if you could break an arm or you could break a leg and something can happen physically, why wouldn't something happen chemically or that might need assistance? He says, but it's like you were saying, it's not always our, it shouldn't be our run to right away. And I think- Go ahead. Yeah, No, go ahead. There's no question we can break the brain. Mm -hmm. The the, the harder, the, the, the harder question is, can you, in other words, you can break the brain and somebody literally hits you over the head with a bat. Yeah. Um, question is, can you break the brain by um, relationship struggles? Do abusive situations when you were young, do those break the brain um, as, as we go into adulthood and we don't like our circumstances? You know, there, there's, there's a reason why some look at all the mental health and psychology world with suspicion because too many Christians, I think, have quickly adopted the world's view of all of that mm-hmm. and excused sin. Uh, this person committed adultery. Oh, obviously they've got uh, mental issues. Well, the scripture doesn't take us down that path. The scripture says you're a sinner and you in- indulged your desires and, and there are consequences for that. But I also think we need to at least consider um, behavior and has a person been trained and influenced by their parents in such a way that they're more vulnerable to those temptations. And that hasn't even gotten into the area that I, I can't speak to, you know, what is going on in the brain and chemicals and, and all of that. So again, I think we just need to be careful, be gracious, and not discount the, the relationship between the physical and non-physical, but we still have to call sin, sin. We still call repentance, repentance, and we need to hold people responsible. And the, the means, put it this way, fruit of the spirit. We talked about this last week, Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. If I'm truly walking in the spirit and manifesting all of those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, I'm not going to sin a lot, right? Um, so we, we have to, I guess what I continue to tell people is, regardless of the answers to some of these questions, the Spirit of God indwells believers. Let us never discount the Spirit of God and the ability and the power He has to transform us from the inside out. Amen. So rather than this having this whole discussion as a a condemnation versus all that, just 
seek the spirit, seek the spirit. Please don't underestimate the power of the spirit to give you freedom and to give you hope and joy and all those things. And I think it's great to recap, uh, basically to deal with it. Look to Christ. I think Doug said that beautifully. And um, after that, you know, seek friendly counsel and seek wisdom. You know, wisdom comes from the counsel of many. All right. Well, I think that was a really good day. Be strong, be courageous. Although that context may not be dealing with physical strength, but still be strong and courageous. You could take that both as well as um, dealing with anxiety and being physically strong. Next week, we'll look at plagiarism, whether or not Doug thinks it's a good idea or not in sermons. I'm really kidding. Uh, And let me just say this for those who listen to this or friends, this is just my personal rant. Whatever's going on in the SBC isn't good. But mocking those who may be caught in sin, not a good idea either. So uh, they need prayer and they need repentance and they need to be called to truth. I don't think mocking them is helpful. That's just my little rant on everything that's going on there. All right. Well, Doug, next week we'll, we'll see what we'll talk about. But as always, we want people and I think ever more, especially in a, in a world where you're fighting anxious thoughts and sin and wanting to be a good husband or father or pastor, or just brother and sister in Christ, what do you encourage people to do? Be intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things.